of the bird. Um, I am here to talk about, uh, well, this book. I sometimes call it the story of my life. Um, 21 years in the making. If you want to know a lot of background about why the book, I would urge you to go to the very back in the epilogue, and I give uh, a rather detailed backdrop of where I was coming from and what brought me to the point where the Lord uh, impressed me to put this together. But um, it is true. I, I started on this book when I was uh, just beginning to do mission work in 1983, and the Lord said he wanted me to rethink how I presented the essential truths of the Christian life and just what is the core of uh, understanding and relating to God through uh, grace and a grace-oriented approach that would cover the whole gamut. You know, the scripture talks about the importance of doing, uh, addressing thoroughly the whole counsel of God. And um, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are also adherents to the Word of God. And so, actually, this is a study of the Bible. It is a study of the Bible as it unfolds the relationship between God and man, the plan of God for man, and the outworking of that plan through our Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's really what I talk about in the book. But um, um, I, I want to su suggest that we uh, start our sharing this morning with the foreword where my wife, Lou, who is unable to be with us, she's the office manager of Source Ministries. She always has plenty to do. And uh, this week and, and several weeks prior, she's been helping me put together a completely different format for uh, the This is Living seminar, which we'll be doing the rest of the week. So she's been rather busy. We've been working until at least 8 o'clock or so every night, and uh, she's swamped. So she's staying home to get caught up, and I think just to rest up and maybe do some uh, domestic things around the house. She had a few of those in mind, she told me, so that'll be nice. But um, she uh, pointed out a couple of things that I think are most essential, and although I elaborate on them later in the book, I don't say much about them at the beginning. But it is imperative that you grasp uh, parts of the second two paragraphs of the foreword there at the beginning of the book. And in the foreword, Lou talks about that um, the book needs to be read in its entirety. One chapter builds upon the next. You know, the scripture talks about line upon line and precept upon precept. It does that for a reason. Because, you see, God gives us a progressive revelation of himself and a progressive revelation of who we are in him. And so we need that same understanding. Most of us try to jump in over here at some so-called mature level. And you know what happens? We flounder. Maybe we sink. There's a lot of people that have dropped out and given up on church thinking it didn't work. But what didn't work was their approach to try to make it work. And um, so we need to come back and, and just look at it again and see what God's Word says about it. So... Uh, as Lou points out there, just as our physical lives are comprised of many parts and experiences and cannot be explained or described by any other part, so our life in Christ is complex yet simple. I love Paul's term, the simplicity that is in Christ. It's that simple childlike relationship that we all too often lose sight of. But uh, she moves on to, to point out the, the simplicity of our life in Christ can be revealed and that word revealed is all important because, you see, what we're dealing with in, in, in this book is a spiritual truth and a spiritual reality that can only be comprehended by the Spirit of God. This book is of divine origin. 
And so it takes the Spirit of God to interpret the truth of this book to us and then, more importantly, make it real in and through us. And that's what God has in store for us. Now, looking on, um, she points that out. And her, her, um, her prayer there, Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, and many of you are familiar with these, these verses, but this is the key prayer of the Apostle Paul to a very mature church, the church at Ephesus. And it goes like this, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your understanding, your spiritual awareness might be enlightened. See, that's revelation. When God's Spirit turns the light on in our life. And so anytime we, we look at the truth of God's Word, and actually anytime we approach all of life, we must rely upon God's Spirit to enlighten us. And as we do, He will guide us in the path of righteousness for His namesake. So let's make that our prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, tremendous opportunity to gather in your name. In your name. In your name. Lord, I, I stand in awe of you. Thank you, Lord, for your wonderful life. Lord, it is just so amazing that you would allow us to participate in your life. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful words of life that you have available to us. And today, Lord, would ask that your spirit would illuminate the truth of your word. May you grant us that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Lord, not about you, not information, not facts, not figures, but, Lord, a realization of your life, an awareness of your presence, of your power, the experiential knowledge of you as Lord, as life, as all. Order our steps, guide our conversation. Holy Spirit, have your way with me. In Christ's name, amen. I mentioned in the introduction about back to basics. I've counseled people all over the world. I've counseled people from every walk of life. I've counseled people great and small. And one thing I know is this. Most of us are getting hung up at points where the basics have been misunderstood or completely neglected or ignored. And it's these foundational truths that are referred to in Hebrews 5 when he says you should have grasped the deep things of God by now, but the problem is... You haven't grasped the foundational truths, what he calls the first principles of the oracles of God. Those foundation truths, that foundation reality. No other foundation can be laid but that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. And he's saying you are trying to build on something other than that sheer foundation. You might be trying to build on your Bible knowledge or the accumulation of your Bible experiences. You might be trying to build on your moral conduct and character, but you are not building on Christ, the sure foundation. And any foundation which is laid which is not of Christ himself will crumble and shatter and fall. So you've got to build on the sure foundation. And that's why um, I take the approach I've taken. And we have to go back as it were, to the beginning. Well, let's face it, that's the way God began. And so, what I do in chapter 1 is I, I simply give you a taste of what it means to become a new creation. I give you an example about one person's life. 
A person who came to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a person who has demonstrated fruit meet for repentance. Now what does that mean? It, it's, it's John the Baptist's way of saying, if you've, really, if you've really come to the Lord, your life will demonstrate a change. But a change not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but a change of the transforming grace of God by the power of God's Spirit. The man that I told about in the first chapter of the book, his life was so dramatically changed. There was such a, an awesome work of repentance in his life and that such a manifestation of the grace of God through his life that over 100 people in his rural farming community came to Christ in a matter of three years. You see, he had, his life was demonstrating fruit worthy of repentance. His life was manifest in the reality of Jesus Christ. That man went on to go on the mission trips with me. He's now a pastor of a church. And many people have come to the Lord and are now leading other people to the Lord through him. That, that is an evidence of a transformed life. And so while it's wonderful that we can have the privilege of learning the truths of God's word, and we can sit around and talk and discuss and debate the philosophy and the theory and the theology, if it's not a living reality, it is not what Jesus Christ is all about. Because he's about changing lives for all eternity. And he's about producing a new creation, a new manifestation of the glory of God. And when our lives demonstrate that change, we're really revealing the glory of God. And we'll see that in the seminars we go into our study. Um, there's, there's a couple of things I also want to point out. I've, I've talked to a number of leaders and pastors and different ones that have looked at my book and read over it. And, um, you know, at first glance you say, yes, I know that. Oh, I've heard that. And it's true. For most of us, if we've been in the church very long, we have been exposed to much of what I address in the book. But then again, you should be. If you truly know the Lord, you've been exposed to all of it through this book, the Bible. But here's what I've come to understand. Let's just take a new creation. If any man be in Christ, a state of being. That is to say, if Christ has come into your heart and life, if he now lives in you and your life is joined to him, then what? You are a new creation. But, but note what it says there. All things are passed away, dead and gone. All things have become new. And yet look at how most of us still perceive our life and our walk with the Lord. We are in a state of becoming. We're trying to become someone. We're trying to get something. Lord, Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me power. Lord, be close to me. Lord, be with me. Do you see what we've done? We've negated that very verse that we all say we know and believe. Because we're trying to become someone we already are. It was the same dilemma Jacob had years ago when, when God established him with the blessing and the birthright. And he spent most of his life trying to, to connive his way into getting uh, the birthright and the blessing. By coercion, by manipulation, and by deception. And while we might not think we're doing that in our walk, in our Christian life, in our activities in the church, we are all too often doing the very same thing. And that's why I went back and revisited that very basic verse and emphasized it to stress that very point, that we have become a new creation. We're not becoming a new creation. We have become a new creation. And throughout the book, I keep reiterating that in various ways to try to make that point clear. But let's, uh, let's jump forward.
And what I'm doing really is just kind of priming the pump a little bit, and uh, now when I hear from you, if there are things that have stood out to you in the book that you have uh, comments about, testimony about, or questions about, I'd like to hear that as well. But um, creatures of choice. Now that's a big one. Except the problem is this. We, we give ourselves a lot more credit and a lot more power than we have. God granted us in his likeness to have the capacity to choose. But make no mistake about it, you have neither the right or the prerogative to choose. You were born in Adam, a slave of the devil. And Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, John 8, 44, and of his desires you will do. You are a pawn in his hand, and while you are an active, willing participant with him, you are not the source of that sin. The source of sin comes from Satan. You don't have the ability to do that. But then again, as we jump to the new creation, the source of righteousness comes from Christ. You don't have the ability to do that either. But you can participate with him, cooperate with him, and by faith trust him, just as you once were a participant and cooperated with the devil in his dirty deeds. Now, you're honored to cooperate with the Lord in those deeds of righteousness. Romans 6 talks all about that. But uh, one other thought about choice. While you have the capacity to choose, you have the privilege of but one choice. Choose life and live. If you think these are the choices of yours, you're blind and deceived. Arrogance to the nth degree. And that, of course, is what pride is all about. And pride goes before a fall, a haughty spirit before destruction. So, our privilege is to choose life. We'll talk about that in the seminar. But um, we look on in here at the choice of gods and, and the Lord God of heaven versus the God of this world. And then knowing your enemy, we have to understand that, and about the family tree. But now, here's another thing. Man, chapter 11, do you have a problem? Now, why would we dwell on that? Or, or what is wrong with you? Because the thing is, we keep thinking that we are the problem. That we are the problem. How many a time have we stumbled and fall, fallen, failed and sinned, and then come back down on ourselves? How stupid can I be? What a horrible, wretched, sinful wretch I am. I am just a dirty, rotten sinner, a lowly worm. And we begin to come down on ourselves. You know what that's called? Self-condemnation. But there is therefore now no condemnation in what? In Christ. Romans 8. And he says it several times through Romans 8. No condemnation. That means no put down. You are not the problem. And we need to understand that the problem is we were born in the wrong family with an evil nature. And we need a new birth. That's why you must be born again. Because you, you are one who has the nature of the evil one. You're in his camp. He's the God of this world. And to be the God of this world means he, he is the one who's calling the shots. And we need to come out of his family and we need to born again into a new family. And when we're born into that new family, into the family of God, we then have the life of God and the privilege of have, having a relationship with God. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and that follows suit with what is wrong with you. So those two chapters are, are vitally important because, you see, if we don't fully and clearly grasp that, we will be easily susceptible to that self-condemnation which undermines our faith and robs us of the intimacy with God and furthermore quenches the Spirit, thus defiling the temple of God so that the glory of God can't be revealed. Well, you're on into part three, I understand. Change or exchange? And so many of us are still trying to change our life. It looks good, sounds spiritual. It's not God. It's not God. Those are called works of righteousness. And you know, even the best works of righteousness you do is still filthy rags in God's sight. And those works of righteousness can at best only produce dead works. And you know, dead works don't, don't result in life for you. So no matter how much you do and how morally you've improved, you're still inwardly defeated and frustrated, empty, dissatisfied, discontent, restless. And so you end up grinding an axe to find fault with others, or you do like Paul did by going around thinking about how much better you are than others, or, or like Jesus who had to deal with the, with the publican who said, Lord, look at me, I'm such a great person, I, I don't do all these things, and I do all these things, and... And that's self-righteousness. But, praise God, we can do something better than try to keep changing. We can allow him to make that great exchange. And in fact, if you've ever received Jesus Christ as Lord, it's already happened. The exchange already took place. The, The moment you said, I do, to Jesus Christ, the moment you acknowledged that you were a sinner without God and without hope in this world... The moment you rejected and turned your back on the old life and the old way, the moment you turn to the Lord, the moment you, yes, in fact, all of that is repent, then the Lord brought about a change in you. He changed you at the core of your being, at the heart level. And the Christian life really is, is the outworking of the inworking. From that point forward, it's really a matter of just how to let the life out. Of course, when you get to the last chapter of the book, you'll, you'll see that I go back and point that out and talk about walking by faith. And, uh, but the exchange has already taken place. You don't need to change, but you might need to change your thinking. And that, too, is repentance. But we'll get to that later in the seminar. So we need to understand the reality of life and the source of that life and, and then just relax and let him be himself in you. Just relax. Lighten up. And let him be himself in you. I love that uh, Jesus points out in John 7 that out of your innermost being will flow a river of living water. A river will flow. So we have to ask ourselves, is there a flow? Is there a river? Is it living water? Is it living water? Because there is something flowing out of us. But is it a river of life? And if not, why not? And so all the things that I address in the book are, are the various things that block the flow of that river. 
you know, most of the, the country, in fact, in the, in the state of Texas, for instance, there is only one natural lake. Now, there are many lakes today, but they're man-made. And how did we, how do we make lakes? Some of you engineering types or anybody that's been to a lake. You have to put up a dam, don't you? It's a man-made blockage to the flow of water. What blocks the flow of the Spirit of the living God in our life? It's those things we're trying to do to make the Christian life work. It's all the things we've got to do, so we think. And the moment we start trying to do something to become someone, the moment we start trying to do something to make it happen, we have blocked the flow of the river. Paul calls that quenching the spirit. Quenching the spirit. To quench something is to block it or to inhibit it. It's not that he's not there. It's, it's like if you visualize that we just kind of put a lid on it. You ever had your, maybe your parents say, put a lid on it? <laughs> what are they telling you? Close your mouth. Block it. Cover it up. And that's what we end up doing. Sincere? Most of the time, yes. Are we really wanting to honor God when we're doing all the various things that we think we've got to do now? It's about, it's not necessarily the thing we're doing that's the problem, but it's the motive, the attitude behind it. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing this in order to be something? Am I doing this to be a better Christian, to be more pleasing to God, to whatever, whatever? Well, that motive will quench the spirit. If I'm doing this because this is the natural outworking of the inworking, then that's just the release of the spirit. And that means the Lord is free to work in me, and when he works, God is glorified. Well, I'm glad you're studying this book. I wrote it to help people enjoy that simple, wonderful relationship with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's, as I said, the story of my life in the sense that uh, it addresses the things I've had to learn, mostly the hard way, in the school of hard knocks, and by observation of what other people are struggling with as well. And um, it's not by any means intended to be an exhaustive study. It's just an explanation of some simple basics, but presented in a way that um, I trust will help you take a fresh look at God's Word under the enlightening of God's spirit. And um, in the final analysis, uh, that you might um, allow him to be free to be himself in you. Okay, well, that's some thoughts that are on my heart just to kind of set the stage on 